Welcome. We trust you will be encouraged by this message from Mahesh and Bonnie Chavda by Chavda Ministries International. Real love, real people, real power. So, I'm so glad that we were able to sing that uh, song from the Welsh Revival. Uh, Here is love. Here is love, vast as the ocean. And since today is Valentine's Day, it's, it's very appropriate, I think, to talk about the second part of the Apostles' Creed. It says, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And that's very an important fact. We wanted to kind of focus on these truths that we don't want to gloss over and just go on because these are some of the major foundational truths that sustain believers for centuries. And these are some of the highlights. And then the second part is I believe in Jesus Christ. His only Son, our Lord. And there's a truths that we sometimes don't fully comprehend the, the amazing powers that were contained in the basic beliefs in the Bible. I believe, you know, creed is believing. I believe. I believe in so and so. So one of the first truths is I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And some of these basic truths were so important in history. Uh, different periods came. Then the second part we go in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. Well, during the time of the Roman Empire, they would tolerate pretty much the Roman Empire spread over many nations. Basically, what to belong to the Roman Empire. You had to pay your taxes. And uh, really, they would leave you alone unless you would you have to just declare Caesar is Lord. And that was the major truth that the Christian believers during that time, they would not bow to oppressions and especially this particular truth, they would not say Caesar is Lord. They were there to say, we believe in Jesus Christ and he is the Son of God and he is Lord, not Caesar. So that's part of this Trinitarian belief that we have in the Apostles' Creed with his part. One is God the Father and he's honored as Father Almighty maker of heaven and earth. And then comes to Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. There's Father God, and then there is the Son, Jesus Christ, who is our Lord. And uh, it's uh, profitable to look at Matthew 16 as one of the fun scriptures here. It says in verse 13 onwards, it says, when Jesus came into the coasts of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I am? 
whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? The printing ears on old King James way. And they said, the disciples replied, some say that thou art John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others, you are Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus said to them, the disciples, but whom say ye that I am? And verse 16 says, And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Mark 16, 17, And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. The thing that I want to underline is that Peter tells him, you are the Christ or the Messiah, the son of the living God. And that was uh, truth as we recognize, of course, the whole Apostles' Creed is true. But here, the, the question that Jesus asked, who do you think? I am. And to their disciples, he asked, Whom do you say that I am? You are Christ, the Son of the living God. And it was uh, one of the vital truths in the Bible. That, uh, and what we have in the Bible is a revealed truth. It's, we exercise faith, but God has revealed his truth to us. And the truth about Jesus Christ. And we believe in the, among the tenets that we believe about Father Almighty and then about Jesus. About Jesus, we believe he is Jesus. The angel says, his name is Jesus because he's been sent to save his people. So there was one major mission that Jesus had to save mankind, to save everyone who would come to him. Jesus is the Christ. He is the Savior. He saves people from their sin, and He is Lord. And so these claims make Christianity very unique. Maker of Father is a maker of heaven and earth, and that's one God, Father Almighty. And immediately, when you allege that and believe in that, that separates us. Not for the sake of separation, but that belief identifies us different from Hinduism. Hinduism has many gods and many, one, many ones who could have helped in making uh, the universe, heaven and earth. And so... Christians throughout the centuries separated from those kind of thinking, saying that the maker is God the Father, who is the maker of heaven and earth. Uh, and then about Jesus, the Apostle Creed says he's God's only son. And uh, that, that parts company very, very quickly and emphatically from Islam because 
Islam insisted, and you'll find the major place of worship for the Muslims in Jerusalem, very aggressively declares, God has no son. They just say the name of their God, but that's it. He does not absolutely have a son. Whereas we believe in the Son of God. And so this Christianity separates us from Islam also. And uh, the, the ancient Christians would have often to identify each other that they would understand it. There would be the sign of the fish or the exodus and uh, to form an acrostic. Four of the words found in the creed, first letter is the, the, in the Greek, the first letter of Christ, the, the Lord, Ixus, the son, the son of the living God, shorthand, Jesus Christ, God's son, our Savior. That's, that's the thing. Son of the fish. Yeah, fish. So that's acrostic. Means basically, it's a short, if you showed someone, son of the fish, that would, it was just an understanding. And now you are a Christian. That yeah. uh, you are yeah. meeting a fellow Christian. And making that declaration, Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus yeah. Christ is Lord. Yeah. And, and all, of, all of that, the, in the creed, um, declaring our Lord. Say, our Lord. Our Lord. So, which is, is different. That's a personal possessive. Our Lord. My Lord. Which is even different from the Lord, their Lord, you know, his Lord, our Lord, my Lord. It's very, very personal. And it's predicated on the revelation of the kingdom of God. And we pray your will be done on earth as in heaven. Your kingdom come. And this is not some airy, fairy, nebulous something out there in the ether. It's the literal uh, concrete manifest and demonstrated kingdom, the community, the body of Christ, the legislative body, the extension of God's rule through his people, literally the kingdom of God. And Jesus is Lord because he is the king of this kingdom. And we are in the manifestation of the kingdom of God in the earth through the body of Christ, advancing hearts and minds advancing in the lives of human beings, increasing God's family. And ultimately, the kingdom of God will be manifest as at the second coming, the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven. There is a literal city that there will be. We cannot imagine, Scripture says, what it will be when he comes to redeem the earth, to gather up all those that belong to him, and to inaugurate life infinite with him ruling at the center of the newly created heavens and earth. And he is our Lord because he is the fulfillment of God's creation plan that Adam would be his governor of the world. Jesus is called. The, the last Adam, the second man. And in that context, Jesus is Lord because he took up and assumed the failed mission of the original man who was meant to be 
governor, lord. God said that all of creation would be under his dominion. So Jesus is Lord because of the fulfillment of the redemptive of the creation plan. He is the fulfillment. He's Lord as a fulfillment of Israel's God throughout the Old Testament. The declaration, the revelation of the name Jehovah, Yahweh, is the name Lord. And so the entire Old Testament promise and revelation of the God of Israel, Jesus is Lord because he is that Lord. He is Jehovah God. He is Lord because he is the fulfillment of God's visitation of promise of salvation to the Gentiles. And there, of course, we see that in the New Testament and in the inauguration and establishment of the church, as, you know, Pastor read, that Jesus has taken up his place as the head of the church. And he is Lord because of the resurrection. Because in the resurrection, he has ascended and is seated on the throne of the cosmos. So he is Lord, the Lord, our Lord, my Lord, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. Jesus is Lord. And as he said, all authority. Say all authority. All authority. And let's, let's let that be real to us. And especially in seasons like now where... We, we wonder, some of our, even it seems like some of the cultural and societal national foundations that we as American Christians here in this nation have always felt a certain security and, and maybe even taken for granted the vast liberties that we have as human beings because of our founding documents, recognizing that indeed man is the creation of this God of the Bible, the creator. And then that means that as human beings, human beings are given not by governments, but by, literally by the authority that God has, the ultimate moral authority that human beings individually are given by him certain liberties. And that's the unique thing about America, unique in all the world, that the founding documents and the conceiving of a governmental system was inspired by that and indeed by the faith of many who were believers. And these are some of the things that have been lost and are being eroded through our education system, our, uh, the, the drift of, of um, our culture, so on and so forth. And it seems that perhaps the church has lost its significance. And so Jesus as Lord, as the head of the church, it may seem to have faded into the background. But let me assure you, that he is still Lord. And as scripture says, Psalm 2, he is seated, he has been set down at the right hand of God, and he will sit there until all of his enemies are made to put, be put under his feet, including all kings and rulers and authorities. Psalm 110, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. It's the most quoted Old Testament scripture in the New Testament. You find the apostles using it again and again in their letters. Peter preached it on the day of Pentecost. All of it declaring that this Jesus, our Lord, is the Lord and will be forever in an ever-increasing expansion of the manifest power of his rule and reign. This Jesus, the God of the creed, is Lord. In scripture, the, as I said, the word Jehovah is Yahweh 
is the, the reference to the supreme being. And I was looking at some of the metrics. Uh, Lord, with a capital L, occurs 6,764 times throughout the scripture. Nearly, as Lord, nearly 2,500 times more than the title of God with a capital G. So scripture itself presents the revelation of God preeminently as him as Lord, Lord of all. And it was interesting too, I saw that in Jeremiah's book, in the single book of Jeremiah, he refers to the Lord as Lord with a capital L, almost as many times as Jesus is referred to as Lord throughout the New Testament. And that was something interesting to me because Jeremiah is a prophetic type of Christ and many of the things that he encountered and went through, and in fact, many of his prophetic sayings are attributed to the spirit of Christ and the spirit of prophecy speaking of Christ in advance. Um, Christ is called the Lord of glory in 1 Corinthians 2.8. It says, none of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And the prophetic scriptures over and over and over, emblematic and, and indicating the, who the Lord is, you find that there is no one in history that can compare to what Jesus represented. It's uh, one of the fascinating. I love, I love the pre, the pre scenario before the birth of Christ. But uh, I love the presentation of angels. The angels are very much present at his birth, uh -huh. in his ministry, at his crucifixion, and his resurrection. Angels are all over the place, and in. In a few weeks, we'll be celebrating and honoring Easter and its resurrection. But you'll find, which I, I like, you know, I have told you about the time where I was in, considered perhaps the biggest tornado in history, in the United States at least. And May 1970, I heard the sound of about a hundred trains coming toward me, and it was a tornado. And several people were killed around where I was living in this little apartment, six blocks from the university. And that's where uh, all the lights went off in my little apartment. And I heard the voice, very loud, very clear, get up. And uh, three times. <laughs> and it, the voice surrounded me. And then... I wouldn't pay, pay any heed. I would just, I said, talk back to this voice. It's the weirdest thing. And I said, I'm tired. And so this force, I bet that in that, I don't, couldn't see, but I'm sure he, the angel looked up <laughs> saying, shook his head, that this, this crazy man will, is not listening to me. The Lord was just like, just pick him up. Yeah. <laughs> the angel picked me up like I was just a rag. And my feet were dangling. That's, I said, this is weird. And uh, that's where the glass, every piece of whole glass exploded inside the apartment. And that's where I, I still have this car, and you can see it. The angel allowed me to get a little bit of a reminder. Reminder, whatever. <laughs> I will never forget. But angels are real. And for me, 
I was saved from the tornado by the angel literally picking me up and putting me behind a shelter. So uh, you may, they'll be always near you over, you, over your children and protect you because that has happened a few times. But anyway, in that then, it says that Joseph, the angel gave Joseph during the time of the pre-birth of Jesus. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So that's the primary mission of the Lord was to save people. That's why his name is Jesus. And it's a Hebrew. Uh, he is called Joshua. And the first Joshua was that it was a type of Jesus. who the Joshua brought forth the, the children of Israel, saved from slavery, saved from disease, and came into the promised land in the same way. Jesus brings us into the promises of God. All the promises of God are yes and amen. So I, as I entered the ministry, that was one of the major truths. Of the Lord said, don't you ever accept the f- someone saying, well, I don't do this and I don't do that. What I did in the Bible, I am going to do in your lifetime. So exercise faith. But there were several other events happening that tell us this is Jesus, Son of God, Lord God Almighty. Amen. And the, the, uh, another event with the angels that I'm thinking of is when the heavenly hosts appeared to the shepherds who were keeping watch over their flocks. And their announcement was that unto you this day is born in the city of David in Bethlehem, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And the spiritual realm, angels, powers, principalities, demons, all recognize. They've known him from before creation, and they know him. And we mentioned last week, for instance, in the stories in the Bible of Jesus' visit to Gadara and the demonized men there, when the demons, the men didn't, the men didn't recognize Jesus, but the spirits, these eternal uh, spirits, saw Jesus coming from afar, and they cried out, recognize him. Who are you, son of God? Have you come to torment us before our time? Indicating that the spiritual realm knows who he is. And that is why he has said to us, all authority has been given unto me. Go, therefore, and disciple the nations. And in my name, you'll do a lot of things, including casting out demons. So he is Lord of the spirit realm. In Revelation 19, 16, we see Jesus coming as the ultimate Joshua, the commander of the cap, the captain of hosts. And he's coming and it says he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Hallelujah. He's Lord over all because he is God equal with the Father. Psalm 103, the Lord has established his throne in heaven. He is Lord. 
One of the things that, I mean, I, as I was studying this Apostles' Creed again, and I, we have, you know, reviewed this quite a few times, but uh, there's always, it's like a many-faceted diamond. You just twist it a little bit, and you see a new light. But uh, we talked about Jesus Christ, but I just wanted, I got a correction now. I want to tell you that Jesus Christ, Christ is not Jesus' last name. <laughs> that it's, and we, you know, this is Bonnie Chavda or this is Michael Nikom. No, it's his, it's his title. That he's one of the, the greatest of all greats. Means the anointed one. The, the Messiah anointed, that the Israel Messiah. was anticipating. Yes. Yeah. The anointed one. Jesus Christ. And uh, <laughs> the 66 books uh, in the Bible and f over 1,500 years of recorded history, basically there is overall just one major message. God's plan of salvation to offer that to the whole world through Jesus Christ. Nobody else. It, God the Father sends Jesus and by, under the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts 10, 38, he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God is, was with him. And so Jesus is resurrected now so by his Spirit. He is with us, and He anoints us. And uh, the Old Testament was anticipation, looking towards the time when Jesus is coming. The Gospel then is the time of incarnation. And the book of Acts is time of proclamation as He's raised from the dead. And the epistles are an explanation of what is happening under Jesus. The book of Revelation is the consummation of what this message all uh, means. In the Old Testament, it's expectation. He is coming. The gospel is, he is here. And the book of Acts is, he has come. And epistles is, he is Lord. Bow to him. And Revelation is he is coming again. Yeah. So that wow. rounds out. Amen. Amen. He is Lord, Lord of all. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. A, a comprehensive rule extending over all of space and time and human activity, over every sparrow, every hair of our heads, over every atom that makes up the material realm. He is Lord over all because in his human nature, he has accomplished perfect obedience, becoming that last Adam, becoming the son, the perfect son, the first of many sons. He won salvation for us and has been given universal dominion as a reward. As we said, he is enthroned at the right hand of the Father. In Ephesians 1, 20 through 23, it says, God the Father worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, 
but also in the one to come. And he has put all things under his feet. Say all things. All things. All things are under his feet. And as the church today, let's just let the heavenly realm and the earthly realm and our mortal frame know once again that truly Jesus has put all things under his feet, including the last enemy, which is death. Say all things. All things. He has put all things under his feet. The Father has given him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. And we are living in a season where we are feeling and sensing the fresh winds of revitalizing the sacred reality of the gathered manifest local church. And it's a beautiful thing. In some ways, the difficulties of this last year and the potential difficulties of months to come are literally squeezing, particularly in the West, the church into a fresh awakening of the value and sacredness, the joy and treasure, the meaningfulness to us as human beings and particularly as believers of being related as members of the body of Christ and having the opportunity to fellowship with one another, encourage one another, and share this faith in the Lord Jesus Christ together. He rules because he's God. He rules because he's achieved the final victory over sin and death through his resurrection and ascension. He claims authority over believers and unbelievers. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all who dwell therein. But believers are distinct, obviously, because we acknowledge and submit to his rule with joy. He is our Lord. Believers differ radically from unbelievers in the inclinations of our hearts, our motivations, and in fact, our goals in life. Because of Jesus and his revelation to us, we realize that even the entirety of this life is only a blink of an eye of our full existence. And so we put things into perspective because he is our Lord. His lordship implies obedience to Christ in all things, but it's his perfect obedience and not ours that has obtained forgiveness of sins and salvation. And so we offer obedience as a gift of gratitude, as a sacrifice of gratitude back to God because he has saved us. And so we serve Christ in everything at all times with all our heart. It affects our politics, our work, our social relations, our social institutions, our finances, the art that we make, the art that we appreciate, Christian reflection, including the things that are more familiar, like the activities of the church, the home, the family, marriage, etc. And as we see that institutions are literally encouraging children to be confused about the very gender of the bodies that they're born with. As we see that laws made by human beings, by men, have made it a type of liberation and an exercise of freedom for women 
not to be held accountable for murdering their unborn through abortion, we can see the sacred importance and the vital distinction of those who call him Lord and recognize him as Lord and those whose hearts and minds are still darkened. And we have been given the commission to evangelize, to be that light, to be that conversation, to be that voice coming into darkness and lighting up the darkness of the human race and of our world, of our nation. Again, Jesus said, Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Go therefore and make disciples of all men. It's interesting that the New Testament tells us very clearly that all authority comes from God and it includes uh, human institutions. But we recognize that if the persons filling those institutions are separated from God, are not under his authority, then that authority easily becomes corrupt. And as the Bible displays, human government separated from God becomes wild beasts with the characteristics of human beings that become predatory on other nations and upon the people that they govern. So... Um, I came across a, a sermon, one of the things that I love to do, and thinking about the Lordship of Jesus, it seemed worthy of poetry, of, you know, when, of, of how songs treat language, and it elevates your whole body, your mind and spirit with the music of poetry and lyrics. And I came across an old sermon by a, a really esteemed and incredible um, African-American preacher from the previous ages. His name, he, he went by S.M. Lockridge, but his name was actually Shadrach Meshach Lockridge. And he preached, um, he tells in, a, in one of his sermons that he preached a, a sermon, Where Did God Come From? And in it, he quoted Habakkuk 3 that says, Oh Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. Revive your work in the midst of the years. That's one of Cindy Decker's favorite scriptures. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, and Teman was recognized by Jeremiah and Obadiah as the, the origin of where wisdom would come from. And it says, God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. He covered his glory covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. He had rays flashing from his hand and there his power was hidden. And he said that afterwards a man came up to him and challenged him. He said, preacher, let's be reasonable. You're up there talking about God coming from nowhere. That doesn't make sense. And so Lockridge answered him with this. He said, all right, let's be reasonable about it. The reason God came from nowhere there wasn't anywhere for him to come from. And coming from nowhere, he stood on nothing. And the reason he stood on nothing, there was nowhere for him to stand. <laughs> and standing on nothing, he reached out where there was nowhere to reach and caught something when there was nothing to catch and hung something on nothing and told it to stay there. <laughs> he is Lord. <laughs> and in fact, Job 26.7 does say he hangs the earth on nothing. Standing on nothing, he took the hammer of his own will and struck the anvil of his omnipotence and sparks flew. He caught them with the tips of his fingers and flung them out into space and bedecked the heavens with stars. And nobody said a word. 
The reason nobody said anything is there wasn't anybody there to say anything. So God himself said, that's good. <laughs> he walked in the brow of nothing, and with a gesture of his hands, the worlds were formed. He scooped out the seas with the palm of his hands and dug deep the gorges, piled up the hills and propped up the mountains by his will. The moon and the stars lean on him. He is Lord. He is the owner. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The worlds and they that dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it on the floods. He didn't have to put his signature in the corner of a sunrise because nobody else can make a sunrise. <laughs> he didn't have to put a laundry mark in the lapel of a meadow. He's the owner. He didn't have to carve his initials in the side of a mountain. He's the owner. He didn't have to put a brand on the cattle of a thousand hills. He's the owner. He didn't have to put a copyright on the verses of the songs the birds sing. He's the owner. Yahweh, Jehovah. In Israel's Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Lord is a mark of respect and implies a pledge of obedience. When Jesus said, God has made that same Jesus, uh, sorry, when Peter said, God has made that same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Christ represents the thing that God has done to redeem us. Christos, the Messiah, the promised one. Lord represents the things we ought to do because we are redeemed. And that is the gift of the sacrifice of obedience. We ought to call him master and be obedient to him. We ought to call him owner because he does possess our lives absolutely. As it says in scripture, in him we live and move and have our being. He is our only hope and only help. You know the scripture that says the Lord, is with, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And again he says, be still and know that I am God. And on one hand, it's a calming down word, a peaceful, a silent word. But in reality, it is in that silence, the absolute molecular moving, atom shattering presence of the one who is the Lord of all, the Lord of glory. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman wake in vain. And blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And that is our prayer in this season. God, remember us and restore and return. Revive your work in our day. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord and don't do the things that I say? Lordship is supremacy. It's contingent on obedience. He said, not everyone who calls me Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. Lockridge went on to say, everyone is mastered by someone or something, but Christ has the unqualified supremacy. Say unqualified. Unqualified. In other words, there are no boundaries around it. The ultimate supremacy. And he is established as Lord. He is manifest as Lord. He rules and exists as Lord and has given man the freedom to acknowledge and embrace and receive his lordship or reject him. 
and both have their rewards. <laughs> he is the image of the invisible God, firstborn of all creation, head of the church, firstborn from the dead. In all things, he has preeminence. He precedes all others in priority, exceeds all others in superiority, succeeds all others in his finality. He is master of the mighty, captain of the conquerors, head of heroes, leader of legislators, overseer of overcomers, governor of governors, prince of princes, king of kings, and lord of lords. In Romans 14, it says, For to this end Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be lord of both the dead and the living. And even this morning, as we pay tribute to Rich, and in fact, even this week, as we have received calls to support and pray for and give comfort and aid to three families who have lost sons, Jesus Christ, our hope and our help, is Lord of both the dead, those who sleep, and the living, those who live and those who will awaken into eternal life because of what he has done in his incarnation, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and that he is seated on the right hand of the Father and is coming. Say, he is coming, and his reward is with him. We've been talking about overcomers. That's our theme for this year. And in all of his promises, the rewards are to the overcomers. So as we recognize he is Lord, we also understand that he has taken us into his tent of refuge and the expansion of his kingdom with all power and authority. One of the things I would say in this uh, sharing about Jesus Christ, Lord, it, that it, it's making a difference and you don't stand aside or outside observing. You behold him and at his name every knee bows and every tongue confesses he is Lord. So you know that you know that you know that Jesus is Lord, and He is your Lord. And wherever He commissions you to be, that you carry the mantle of one who has recognized and you are part of a living community. Your personhood, you have bowed. Every knee bows. But this is the age where it's of love that you have a revelation of this awesome curios, this Lord of all lords. He is. His name is above every name. He is the Lord of all lords. He is the King of all kings. He is awesome. And that should be part of your entire being so that whenever you're put in situations where his name needs to manifest its power, Something happens, and that person is set free because there is an opposition. Mm -hmm. Powers of darkness still exist, and, but you carry the name of Jesus 
and that makes things happen and supernatural. We have, when there was a big season where a lot of young ladies were being attacked by uh, oppression, that they would cut themselves and do all that. Many, many people came here from across the United States because why? Because they knew there was authority and pe many of the people was set free basically from demonic oppression because why? Because you know that you know that you know. Number one, Jesus died for us all and that Jesus has all authority and you can say in the name of Jesus and people are set free and are blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 46, the Lord Almighty is with us. Say the Lord Almighty. The Lord Almighty. Is with us. Is with us. He is our Lord. Hallelujah. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear and burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. So he's literally speaking into the clamor and chaos and potential destruction of the powers of the earth and says, shh, hush now. I'm in charge here. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Returning to the words of Lockridge. He said, Jesus is Lord because he came down the stairway of heaven. Born in Bethlehem, hid in Egypt, brought up in Nazareth. Baptized in Jordan, tempted in the wilderness, performed miracles by the roadside, healed multitudes without medicine, and made no charges for his service. He conquered everything that came up against him. He took your sin and mine and went out on the cross and died. And when he didn't reply to the taunts of the thief dying beside him, who said, come down from the cross if you are the Christ and save yourself and us, Jesus didn't say a word. And the silence seemed to say, just wait till Sunday morning. I'll show you it's better to come up out of the grave than come down from the cross. <laughs> and he dropped his head and died. His friends say he died. His enemies say he died. The veil of the temple was rent. He was buried in a borrowed tomb, which was all right because he wasn't going to stay there long. Right on schedule, he got up with every form of power of the orbit of his omnipotence to try and destroy his power. What power are you going to use, Lockridge would say. To try to destroy him by fire, he'll refuse to burn. Try to destroy him by water, he'll just walk on it. Try to destroy him by the seal of an empire and he'll break it. By law, you'll find no fault in him. By strong wind, the tempest will lick his hand and lay down at his feet. By the grave, he'll rise. Try to destroy him by ignoring or rejecting him. And soon you'll hear a still, small voice saying, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if a man will open, I'll come in and sup with him and he with me. 
Jesus is Lord. Lockridge called him the pearl from paradise, a gem from the glory land. His truth, he is truth's fairest jewel and time's choicest theme. Life's strongest cord, light's clearest ray, purity's whitest peak and joy's deepest tide. His name stands as a synonym for free healing, friendly help, full salvation. His blessed name is like honey to the taste, harmony to the ear, health to the soul, hope to the heart, higher than the heaven of heavens and holier than the holy of holies. His birth, in his birth is our significance. In his life is our example. In his cross is our redemption. In his resurrection is our hope. Yes, Jesus is Lord. At his birth, men came from the east. At his death, men came from the west. And east and west met in him. The Lord God omnipotent reigns. At his name, to his name, in his name, every knee will bow. White knee, black knee, wounded knee, every knee will bow. And then Lockridge would say, if he's not your Lord, you're not saved. He is Savior and Lord. He said, the hinges of human history have turned by the strength of the insignificant man who has linked his life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And then he went on to say, I love the Lord because he has heard my cry. I trust him because of his wisdom. I love him because of his goodness. I praise him because of his greatness. I believe in him because of his faithfulness. I adore him because of his holiness. The Lord is my light and my salvation. My strength and song, my rock and fortress, my high tower, deliverer, my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not want for rest because he makes me lie down in green pastures. I shall not want for refreshing because he leads me beside still waters. I shall not want for forgiveness for he restores my soul. I shall not want for guidance because he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I shall not want for companionship. For yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for he is with me. I shall not want for comfort, because his rod and his staff, they comfort me. I shall not want for provision or sustenance, because he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I shall not want for joy, because he anoints my head with oil and my cup runs over. With goodness on one side and mercy on the other. I will dwell in the house of the Lord. And then I think Lockridge would say, as we would say today, (laughs) he is not Lord by our vote. There's nobody before him. There will be nobody after him. He has no predecessor. He will have no successor. You can't impeach him, and he's not going to resign. Jesus is Lord. He's my Lord is he yours? Amen. Amen. Praise <laughs> God. Hallelujah. You sure can't be impeached. <laughs> and we are grateful. Thank you, Jesus. Wow. But let Praise this be the Lord. a season that as Jesus comes, everything, every storm ceases. Amen. That he's the Lord over every political storm, 
regular storm, economic storm. May the Lord say peace Amen. and resurrection glory come in Jesus' name. Amen, Lord. Amen. Amen. I want to say to people out there watching us as we shared about the Lordship of Jesus and exalt his name. I want to give you this opportunity. If you've never had an experience, never had a chance to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, right where you are, raise your hand. Thank you, Jesus. Say, I need to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you. Yeah. Just stand up, do something, and say, I receive Jesus. I declare Thank you, he's Lord. my king, my Lord, my master. Now receive you, him into my heart as my king, as my Lord, my savior. Hallelujah. And let us know if you made this confession acceptance, let us know and we will be covering you in our prayers. Um, while as we I will ask Michael in a moment to lead us in worship. But while we are doing that, if you need prayer, you need the Holy Spirit this morning, come on up here. And while you are, as people are being ministered, if you have never had the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you also pray with me in a moment. Um, but I would ask, I would ask our prayer warriors and the leaders who help me pray for people, come on up. And there are people who need, if you need to experience the Lord, you want to receive Him. You yourself have not received Him officially. They'll pray with you. If you need the Holy Spirit, or you need a particular ailment, or you're battling some infirmity, come on up. Thank you, Jesus. And I want to focus on some up there where they are. You might be in Malaysia. You might be in uh, Brazil. You might be in Singapore. You might be in India or Russia. Receive him and say after me, Lord Jesus, I Jesus. do receive you as my Savior. And Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me the evidence of praying in the spirit of speaking in tongues. And receive right now the power, the Holy Spirit power right now that Holy Jesus himself imparts to you. Thank you, And Jesus. thank him. Thank him. Thank You'll you. find that tongues may come uh, sometime as you pray sincerely. That maybe it take a little time, you, but Jesus. pray in the Spirit and move in the power of the Spirit. Thank you. You may come and receive prayer right now. If you need a touch from the Lord, just come on up. These prayer warriors are waiting for you. Thank you, Lord. Any prayer need, come on up. Shift this time of ministry specifically to you, Deborah, Heather, to all of Rich Harris's family. We are praying with you and for you this morning. We're so thankful for your faith and for your testimony. Amen. And we're asking that even right now, 
the Holy Spirit would visit and manifest himself new and fresh in this moment in personal comfort and consolation that the balm of Gilead and the inexpressible and mysterious grace and peace and joy of our loving Heavenly Father would surround each one of you. We pray today that your hearts and your memories would be filled with all of the joyous and good things that you have shared together, that Rich has been and continues to be like a river of life to you and through you and to us and through us. And so in Jesus' name, we especially pray for you today and send you all of our love from this, your non-local home church, All Nations Church. Amen. And on Valentine's Day, I just want to say, God's other name is love. Yeah. Jesus is love. May he enter into your life. May you be full of his love and his peace. We wish you happy Valentine's Day. Hallelujah. We hope you enjoyed this message. To order more great resources by Mahesh and Bonnie Chavda, visit us at chavdaministries.org. For a full catalog of our products, you can call us at 1-800-730-6264. God bless you.